house. No, the right no, house. I did it, get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. On seven prior occasions, this company has denied your claim in writing. You must be stupid, stupid, stupid. The company was playing the odds. What odds? Deny all claims for a year, and most people give up. I want to expose these people. Welcome to the war. <laughs> Y'all are going to have your work cut out for you. Jury tampering, tax evasion, money laundering, you name it. You better watch your back. Are you scared? I hope you are astonished oh. at the lengths to which a wealthy insurance company will go to take money from a low-income family and then keep it. I advise you mind your manners. You're in the big water now. Do you even remember when you first sold out? This got all twisted, didn't it? This legal profession. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast asking you what's it all about and asks it metrosexually. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here as always with my co-host and legal representation, Joe Reed. Uh, Chris, you have seven times previous asked me to discuss The Rainmaker, and I have denied your request. I now deny it for the eighth and final time. <laughs> you must be stupid, stupid, stupid. Well, I do have a different question for you this morning. Yes. Have you or a loved one been injured in an accident? <laughs> um, yeah, probably. Yes. Well, in that I- case, you might be entitled to financial compensation. A semi once tipped over on top of my dad and I in a car on the New York State Thruway one time. That was fun. Minimal injuries. My dad, like, sprained his neck. Not even sprained. Just sort of, like, had to get a go looked at. Yeah, it was a time. It was a wild time. My face right now is cracked. Yeah, I'll tell you that story at some point. It's a longer story. But we ended up... uh, stopping traffic on the new york state thruway for like several hours uh well they, now like... that we've learned that you are a former cast member of final destination 2 <laughs> yes truly. we are instead here to talk about the rainmaker a movie that yes we have like talked about doing back and forth for quite some time so i'm glad we did it i um it I've opened some seen... doors for us that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to open i feel like i think this mm-hmm. is sort of uh it's the rare coppola of it of like prime Coppola era. We'll talk about how like after this movie Coppola goes on walkabout and kind of hasn't come back yet. Um and then John Grisham, the sort of like the prime era John Grisham stuff where like every, you know, his earlier movies had gotten stuff, like at least something. It's interesting because maybe at the time John Grisham was seen as a little pulpy, like maybe I was I'm a little young for like the full John Grisham of it other than like it being omnipresent throughout my family. Yeah. But I think definitely now it's regarded as his work is regarded as like complete junk, but at least cinematically, yes. Almost entirely in the 90s was greeted with a high degree of prestige well i will say 
yes and no. I do feel like there was still that sense of John Grisham is your sort of airport book author, yeah. right? The books were incredibly popular. Yeah, the it's movies, populist prestige. Yes, the movies were incredibly popular. The movies made a lot of money. I wrote about this at Vulture last year. God, who even knows what time means anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was last year about how that sort of that um, sweet spot of the firm and the Pelican Brief and the client, sort of like back to back to back, where it was like two of them in 93 and then one of them in 94. They all mm-hmm. made a ton of money. And they all, if you go back and watch them today, are like such satisfying middle brow uh, legal thriller, like heavy on the thriller. This is sort of, this is the Grisham movie of the like better. I feel like if you're talking about like the good Grisham movies, it's those three, The Rainmaker and the and Runaway Jury. Mm-hmm. And Rainmaker was the first one that was like, oh, this isn't going to be like, life or death stakes this is just pure courtroom like the stakes in this mm-hmm. are for as much as like somebody does die in this and there is <laughs> and then sort it kind of... of just like gets washed away in the story that there is a murder that happens before. oh well even that i was mostly talking about the johnny whitworth character but yes also Ooh. there is a murder that does happen in this movie but it's it, it's never justified murder it's disney villain murder and that is so much like the designated subplot of the movie, whereas just like the mm-hmm. plot of the firm is that like the mob is out to kill Tom Cruise. And the plot of the Pelican Brief is um, that whatever these this sort of shadowy, these shadowy forces are trying to kill Julia Roberts and the mob is trying to kill poor Brad Renfro and the client. So like that's not what's happening here. For whatever reason, somehow Mickey Rourke is not mobbed up in this movie which i find very interesting because he's got all the trappings right there's like that some being suggestion like a to it lawyer. in the first like 20 minutes but they never it's not essential to the plot at all you could completely cut mickey rourke out of the movie like you could a lot of these famous faces mickey rourke gets the with credit in this movie which i always think is interesting he's the with devito is the and and danny glover is uncredited and i feel like it should be like shifted up where like I think DeVito's your with, Glover is your and, and Rourke should be uncredited because Rourke I feel is like definitely else a cameo. Is uncredited in this movie too that definitely maybe was recognizable. It's... Keep talking while I look this up because there's say, just it's... so many people that it's like what? It, it... Yeah. Yes. Yes. Not Virginia um, Madsen. No, not Virginia Madsen, not Dean Stockwell, not uh Teresa yeah, Wright. I guess it's just Danny Glover. Um Yeah. Wild. This is a great oh. cast. I mean, I've, you're, it's a Francis Ford Coppola movie before, again, Francis Ford Coppola left us. Um, but um, <laughs> the, you can see why people sort of like flock to the cast. Roy Scheider, um, who is also like, he's also another sort of like cameo where you could have seen him as being uncredited, but he's he's there. Dean Stockwell. Yep. Yep. Dean Stockwell was my favorite twist in this movie where DeVito's like, guess who just died? And it's just like, okay, it's Dean Stockwell. <laughs> well, a lot of a lot of people die, actually, in this movie. I said nobody died, but apparently lots of people, lots of characters in this movie die. Um, but yeah, I feel like that, that golden age of Grisham legal thrillers, and then this feels like almost like a denouement for it, or like a... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a tag at the end of it where it's just like, and also a few years later, the Rainmaker, <laughs> even though it's well, because and- like the tension of this movie is such a downshift. Like you mentioned from these other ones where it's true 
life and death stakes where it's like very urgent and like even a time to the kill is like Matthew McConaughey might get killed by the clan. Yes. Um, yeah. It, it, all of them have much more urgent stakes, which I think is fine. And I think Francis Ford Coppola is kind of going for almost this like Capra-esque like movie he they they mentioned in one of the little trivia bits on imdb that he had hired elmer bernstein to do the score Mm -hmm. in part because he wanted a uh he wanted to borrow from that to kill a mockingbird vibe Mm -hmm. which is like also yes we're like rudy's the one rudy baylor the character that matt damon plays um fighting for the little guy in this and he's up against like it's such a you know uh, big bad law firm, law firm with like twenty lawyers on the one side of the the deposition table, and on the other it's just Matt Damon with like Devito sort of standing off at a distance because Devito's not really a lawyer, mm-hmm. and it's very classic, you know, big guy and little guy. Matt advice. Damon is very green, so right. he like makes a ton of mistakes that should totally bury him, but they this is still a movie where the good guys win, but like this movie thinks that Matt Damon is Jimmy Stewart. Mm-hmm. And it's very much like Matt Damon is not fully baked yet into a screen star, or at least right. to lead a movie, because this comes out right before Goodwill Hunting. We'll talk like about good... 1997, Matt yeah. Damon, which is like a really interesting... Yeah, this comes like within a month of Matt, of uh, Goodwill Hunting. So like mm-hmm. the, this was definitely wrapped up in the whole... Matt Damon thing, but I remember even ahead of time, before either movie came out, there was if not the EW fall preview, but like earlier than that, where people were just like, get ready for Matt Damon. Like this this new movie stars are coming. And oh, we'll talk about the EW fall movie preview. Yay. Um, love it. My, the, but it's the, also coming off of yes. shout out to an earlier episode, Courage Under Fire, where he did the giant weight yes. loss, and you can definitely still tell that he's coming back from that because you see him just in his boxers. Um uh, what like talk about your uh, shots from movies that had an indelible impact uh that shot of matt damon in boxer shorts in matt damon in high-waisted boxer shorts um in Teresa wright's backyard yes what a what a this movie has so many so it's very sort of almost like tv series asking how many little subplots and side adventures there are yeah. where it's just like um Teresa wright plays an old rich lady who he's she's like his only other client besides the the black family mm-hmm. and he's working on her will and she's just like now don't you go writing yourself into my will and he's like oh ma'am like that kind and of then thing. he's like hey can i stay in your yeah, backyard can I just, like, house yeah yeah exactly but then they become this weird sort of like surrogate family where we see at the end they're like those two and claire danes are just like watching tv together and it's I think there, I think this sort of idea of ad hoc family or sort of just like the bonds of people who are thrown together by a situation is a big Grisham thing. You see that definitely in the client. You see that definitely in I mean the Pelican Brief by the end. Like the book, there's you know a romantic thing between them. Obviously in the movie, there was that whole thing about how they didn't they shied away from that for dumb racist reasons. Um, 
But you definitely see that see that in this movie where Rudy sort of has this because he talks a little bit about how his like father never wanted him to become a lawyer and he was sort of a shit person and then he died. That was a weird part of the story where he was like, my dad hated lawyers and then he fell off a ladder and wanted a lawyer and then he died. And it was just like, okay. <laughs> the narration cool story. in this movie kind of, is like the buzz kill to me because it's mm. also bad the actual narration is credited to a different writer who is not francis ford coppola oh that's and interesting. it's a very like blade runnery thing where it's like it's telling you all for the most part information you either don't need or like you have eyes so you can see it happening on screen and he's like explaining you know what the vibe yeah. is and it, it, yeah, it, it just would be so much better without it. But yeah, it's credited to... Let me pull up our document. It's credited to Michael Hare for the narration, and Francis Ford Coppola gets the screenplay credit, which makes me wonder if this was a studio note, that they added some narration. Yeah, maybe Coppola, maybe Coppola like totally disavows... Uh, the narration, so they credit it to someone else. And yeah. he says, not, not mine, Hare. <laughs> my favorite stupid joke for uh is the uh jaden martell who used to be jaden lieber hair every time I see, yes <laughs> he, he comes out and i'm like it's my lieber hair bye bye my lieber hair farewell my lieber hair it was a fine a but now it's over and though i used to care i need the open air you're better off without me mine hair jaden martell perhaps a, a figure of a coming episode um perhaps so yes let uh, let's set the stage for this before we set get it. into a 60 second plot Maybe set it this honey is going to be the fastest that we ever get into the 60-second plot description. Once again, Under we are here to talk minutes. about John Grisham's The Rainmaker, written and directed by Francis Ford Coppola from the John Grisham novel, uh, John Grisham, uh, starring Matt Damon, John Voight, Claire Danes. Once again, we return to Miss Danes, um, as we are prone to do. We have not done in a long time, actually. Um, Teresa Wright, we mentioned, Danny DeVito. There's also a lot of other bit players like Mary Kay Place, Danny Glover, Roy Scheider, Mickey Rourke, Dean Stockwell, and Virginia Madsen. The movie opened wide uh, right before Thanksgiving of 1997. Joseph. Yes. How do you feel about giving us a 60-second plot description? Um, good. There's a lot. There's weirdly a lot going on for, for something that, you know... It's not an yeah. overly complicated plot, but it's based on a novel, and those gen- tend to, whatever. I'll do. I'll do my best. It's over two hours long, and it felt like the movie yeah. kind of flew by to me because there's so many of these subplots that they never really return to. Yeah, that, like it's true. I needed it to slow down so I could kind of take it in. So, yeah. Good luck to you figuring out what is important and not yes. in your sixty-second plot description. If you are ready, I will start the timer. I am ready. All right. Your 60-second plot description for John Grisham's The Rainmaker starts now. 
okay, Matt Damon plays Rudy Baylor, a law school grad who's uh, at the beginning of the movie hasn't even passed the bar exam yet. And because this is a John Grisham adaptation, of course, it's taking place in Memphis. Rudy's only clients are an elderly woman whose Willie's working on and the Blacks, a poor family whose adult son, Donnie Ray, is dying of leukemia and their health insurance company denied their claim for a bone marrow transplant. Rudy's associate at the Mickey Rourke disreputable law firm is Danny DeVito, whose character's name is Deck Shiflet, because I guess the name Ethic Lee Challenged was being used by a local drag queen. <laughs> anyway, Rudy and the Blacks seconds. Rudy and the Blacks do great benefit insurance for all they're worth, but they're a big business with big business lawyers like John Voight, and it's David versus Goliath in the courtroom, and eventually they track down Virginia Madsen, who plays the Blacks' original claims adjuster, and she blows the whistle on Great Benefit, whose MO is to deny all claims and hope that most of their poor clients just give up. Her testimony is ruled inadmissible, but what's not ruled inadmissible is Johnny Ray's Ten deposition, seconds. which is played after he's died, and it's super emotional, and the jury is one over and they return a $50 million punitive judgment and a great benefit declares bankruptcy and nobody gets any money but the blanks at least blacks at least have bankrupted those sons of bitches okay. and also and also a Claire Dane subplot that I didn't mention <laughs> a Claire Dane subplot where she's uh, an abused woman being abused by her husband who Matt Damon kills her husband, okay, we need to talk about this scene right away. A, her husband is played by Andrew Shu from Melrose Place, which, <laughs> buh. Uh, second of all, the scene in which he comes home and finds the two of them in his and Claire Dane's house and goes fucking ballistic is hilarious because he becomes the goddamn Hulk in that scene where he's, like, pulling <laughs> down whole, like, cabinetry and throwing it on Rudy. He throws the fridge over on top of Rudy and it like crashes down on him. Like they keep, it's interesting. Coppola, it's had to have been a choice where he keeps going back to this shard of sharp glass on the window pane Mm -hmm. or on the pane of the, whatever the French doors that they had in the film. Like one of the things he like threw Claire Danes up against, he's being incredibly like scarily violent with Claire Danes. He's clearly trying to kill Mm -hmm. her. Um, There's a, aluminum baseball bat and a gun and also again this sharp glass that's sort of like sticking up in the in the pane so it's just like what's gonna who's gonna kill with what but i was just like it reminded me of um that scene in ghost how um tony goldwyn dies in ghost where he gets like remember the like window like comes on and just sort yes. of just like stabs it through the middle and i was like oh okay basically guillotines him before the right. little squiggle ghosts come and take him away exactly but i was just like oh that's how andrew shoe's gonna die in this scene is he's gonna like try and like take a swing and miss and fall over and like garrote himself or whatever with this with this glass but oh no he goes to try and like choke claire danes to death and matt damon sure does take a big old Joaquin Phoenix and Signs style swing at him with the bat and like <laughs> clocks him in the head and sprays blood everywhere and then like continues to beat on him and she has to do the like Krusty the Clown like stop stop he's already dead <laughs> like <laughs> that thing and then she wants to take the fall for it so she's like you were never here um, right right because clearly the the uh, legal status of an abused wife is great like definitely that comes especially into, like, in the in- south yeah, it doesn't matter though because they we never, never return to this. <laughs> we never revisit it. She just shows up at the end and is like curled up on the couch with him and suspiciously interested in how much money he's getting from the from the case. Yeah, no, know. it's wild. I, I can't remember. And I read this book. I read all the I the major Grisham books back in the day. I went I went on a big Grisham kick. Obviously, as like most like people who traveled for business or housewives did. Um, yeah. 
but I don't remember whether the book revisits it in any more detail. But I don't think so, because there's I don't remember anything in the book about like her getting arrested or going on trial mm-hmm. or sort of like any kind of like wink and an odd thing about like we know your husband was a shit, so we're not gonna charge you. But like again, that doesn't go along with the theme of the rest of the movie, which is that the legal system is stacked against the little guy. Mm-hmm. So they don't they just don't mention it again. <laughs> All right. Cool. Uh, I don't know. It um good for her. Good for you. Claire good for you. This is what um, apparently what some cop said. Something. That but yeah, like that takes up a lot of screen time to just basically kind of give a love story and like to your point of the larger themes of this is, you know, a disproportionate uh, legal system to, you know, the people that it's supposed to serve. Like you don't even mm-hmm. see really cops not doing anything about her being abused. So it's like, you never really feel like she is intrinsic in the, you know, the little guy part of the narrative. Um, Right. And because the main case of this movie is a civil case, there's also no sense of like the, the criminal justice system of mm -hmm. like, it's not like we're dealing with district attorneys or, you know, sort of state prosecutors or anything like yeah. that. It's just generalized Damon, the bureaucracy. Lawyer. Right, right, exactly. And th- this sense that like big companies, it's interesting because like obviously Great Benefit is a big enough company that it has all of these this sort of like fleet of lawyers and mm-hmm. yet they're a small enough fish that they like sell policies door to door and are kind of just like the sort of like the shifty untrustworthy like clearly they prey on poor people. They mention it. The Virginia Manson mm-hmm. character mentions it. That like they sell these policies door to door to low income families and whatnot. And that's strategic. But it also sort of takes them out of the realm of big major insurance companies, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know, like there was a little bit of a disconnect in that. We're just like all this talk of like you know, Rudy's a rainmaker, he's going to get so much money out of them, blah, 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 blah. And I guess it comes into play at the end where, like, they get this $50 million judgment and then the company declares bankruptcy because you're just never going to get that much money mm-hmm. out of a company of that size. So I think it's, it's, I guess even the midsize insurance companies are still big enough that they, you know, can dwarf and bully this poor family. Yeah. It's interesting because I just rewatched Aaron Brockovich because why wouldn't you? Um, and like the they couldn't be more different movies, but if you're talking right. about like a certain type of going against a corporation and like what the legalese and the legal process is, like that's yeah. a movie that I understand. Well, and in that w- way, movie... more just like the process side of things, and this one you just kind of don't. Yes. Right. And I think that movie, I think Aaron Brockovich benefits from being a true life case where they can mention PG&E, which is a real company mm-hmm. by name. And then you get the sense of the size of, oh, it's PG&E. They're this giant energy company. Mm-hmm. And that's and so then it makes sense of the fact that they have this like fleet of lawyers where like half of them don't even know each other. And they're just sort of just like you're the next wave of this, you know, giant obstacle that we're going to keep throwing at this small little law firm and i think you're right that aaron brockovich 
does do process a lot better. I think this movie is trying to be, while having these little sort of like processy moments, and it's interesting because Grisham, obviously, his whole claim to fame is that like he was a lawyer and that's why he's got all of this. That's why all of his movies are set in like Memphis or whatever or Mississippi because like that's where he was an actual lawyer. He like knows that's his sort of like, that's his backyard. And, but still his novels and the movies based on his novels end up becoming sort of like leaping from the sort of like quotidian legal stuff to these big, in previous cases, like life or death matters. And in this one, it's just sort of like this again, uh, very Jimmy Stewart, Capra-esque little guy against the system stuff. And I'm trying to think of like what even parts of this movie, because like the DeVito character is supposed to be this, you know, he calls himself a para lawyer, which is not a thing, just to sort of like <laughs> elevate himself past the the status he's of paralegal. He's basically a salesman because like they well, barge he's, he's into like the, like the classic ambulance room chaser. of the injured man and he's yeah. like selling their services he's, basically. Like yeah. that's why he's around. He's the ambulance chaser for sure. And like that's a whole, <laughs> there's the part where Rudy is just like, they have it in the trailer too where he's just like, that's blatant ambulance chasing. And it's just Can like, we talk we, about the trailer? Because Can we talk about the trailer? Of course the trailer uses the Shawshank Redemption Yay! score. I one loved of the it so many much. trailers that uses the Shawshank Redemption score. It made me so happy. And it also is an old school voiceover trailer from the like inner world guy. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Which yes. I also love because that's the best part of that voiceover is always when it gets into the just with the reading of the names in the cast, which I just yeah. love, where it's just like Matt Damon, Claire Danes. Which it's deeply shocking that this poster is not a floating name poster, considering yes. the people that are in this. It's like a scene from had the movie, like a yeah. Chunk of names and they yeah, didn't do it. it's true. And it's so what? It's it's Damon and Devito sort of set against this like giant marble backdrop of the like court mm-hmm. building, right? Where it's just like it, it, you know, it's the rare poster that communicates an idea. Whereas some posters mm-hmm. are just content to just, as you said, like throw all this star power at you. So yeah, and it has the title that. on like a gold plaque, which I'm pretty yes. sure is lifted from the original novel. Like, I think that might be true. I think that's true. Yeah, the original, the original Grisham novels all had this kind of same uh, theme of like this marble pattern, and then the title was sort of this like embossed. Um, I know in the client it was like almost this like uh, medallion kind of a thing. It was just like mm-hmm. it all felt very like official, stamped on unofficial whatever. Air of gravitas. Yes, yes, exactly. And then the firm. I remember the firm was he's. There's this like whatever the lawyer with the briefcase and he's trying to sort of like climb. You know, hold on to this wall as he's like mm-hmm. slipping down it or whatever. God, those movies are so good. They're genuinely, especially like now, if you're looking for an escape during quarantine mm-hmm. times, watch The Firm, The Pelican Brief, and The Client, like back to back to back. It's a time They're to kill. really gets... well-made movies, too. So it's yes. like, we can sit, it feels like now we just consider John Grisham to be like junk or trash or whatever. But like, yeah. the, the first John Grisham movies are, re, are they're solid-ass movies. Like, they should have gotten probably more consideration than well, they did but because like, they're seen like airport novel movies but like the firm is a sydney pollock movie pelican briefs a pacula movie it's exactly, like exactly exactly right and people forget 
Holly Hunter did get nominated for The Firm, which is like, Mm -hmm. has a whole lot of like, there was a lot of other factors involved, most, uh, a lot of them, including the fact that she was the front runner for Best Actress for The Piano that same year. And Mm -hmm. they were very much into double nominations because also Emma Thompson got double nominated that same year. Um, But Holly Hunter in The Firm is a really fun performance. And it's one of those sort of like Joan Cusack in and out, even though Joan Cusack was in like a full on comedy and mm-hmm. the firm is still a legal thriller, but like Holly Hunter's performance is essentially the comic relief of the firm, or at least like the sort of like the designated lightness in that film. Like she still has to do some like very tense scenes where she has to like, you know, get information out or whatever. Well, and that double nomination, too, it's like it's one of those scenarios where a double nomination happens because you have two great performances that are so different. So yeah. like it helps kind of create a moment around that performer because you can see their range in like a single year. Yes. No, that's absolutely true. She's just got the four nominations, right? Uh, those two broadcast news, 13. Let me I look think up her it. nominations. Yeah. While we while we think about this, because like clearly she deserves to have like a bajillion more, but like those are the only four that I can. <laughs> yeah, it's of. just the four. Where was the copycat nomination? I ask you. I should That's... watch Copycat. I haven't seen I Copycat, but I saw several people talking about it on Twitter this week. You can always tell when it shows up on a streaming service because so many people are just like, "I saw this movie, Copycat. Who knew?" <laughs> copycat very scary poster i remember that terrifying me i remember the trailer for that where they had the one shot of like raggedy ass harry connick jr like pulling his like thumb over his throat or whatever threatening to kill uh sigourney (laughs) weaver and yeah okay the other one that we didn't mention in the cast of the rainmaker where i fully gasped and i was like this movie needs to stop it needs to stop bringing out all of these recognizable faces for a moment or two or like to be just a judge harry connick jr star of copycat randy travis yes randy travis i was wondering where you were going with this i was like did i miss harry connick jr yes randy travis as travis Irritable juror number two or whatever. <laughs> that was I okay. almost sent you the New York Beyonce uh, caption with it blocked out and saying, Randy Travis. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that's one of the very sort of like subplotty, not even a subplot, but it's just sort of like, now let's take a little goofy adventure in the movie where they find out that their office is being bugged. And so instead of, uh, calling the cops on or whatever like alerting the authorities alerting the judge or whatever they decide to have a little fun with john voight and his crew and they plant this false story that they've been tampering with a juror and they get voight to accuse the juror during uh jury selection mm-hmm. of having an improper contact with with rudy and of course randy travis doesn't know what he's talking about and is just like if you calling me a liar and and john void's like i am calling you a liar and then like they fight in the courtroom it's great <laughs> and then judge judge danny glover when john void's like I, I say we should dismiss this whole panel and judge danny glover's like no <laughs> even though he probably should have Judge Danny Glover really, really favored Matt Damon in this movie and was, like, pretty upfront about it, and it was nice. That's another sort of Grisham trope, is the older judge who takes 
a liking to a younger lawyer and like helps him out. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing in a time to kill for sure. I think that's a thing in the client where I think it's Robert Prosky plays the judge in that perhaps Uh, legend. Robert Prosky has a fondness for, um, for Susan Sarandon's character. The other thing I mentioned it a little bit with deck shiftlet, where it's just, you, I, I great. Like you've communicated fully that he is an unethical person by calling him deck shiftlet. Like you might as well <laughs> like call him like, you know, stares guiltily at his shoes and whatever. And, um, but like, that is also a John. We t- we've talked on this podcast a lot about like movies that you can definitely tell are from novels. And, John Grisham is a huge, huge, just like Reggie mm-hmm. Love. Um, even like Rudy, Rudy <laughs> Baylor sort of is just like, oh, he's like a young, scrappy kid. Like, we get it. Um, yeah. Uh, it's funny. And like, also, it's, you uh, know that he's a shifty character because they cast Mickey Rourke in the role as like, Bruiser Stone. <laughs> yeah. Fully like uh, extricated, ostracized from Hollywood Mickey Rourke. Well, Coppola had worked with him on Rumblefish, so that was sort yes. of the connection there. The favor. Um, and again, Coppola, you know, has a lot of connections with a lot of people. Although, really, I'm try- I was trying to think of, like, who else in the cast feels like um, they were, you know, old Coppola mainstays. And I can't really pick out too many. Like, is DeVito It is feels DeVito like ever that, done? though, right? It um, does feel like it would be that, but like I was because I was... like it's so there's such a randomness to the casting, and it's like so many recognizable faces, um, not really in hugely significant roles, and maybe like they could be feel more significant than they are, but this movie's so like well Stockwell heavy. Stockwell was in Tucker the Man in His Dream mm-hmm. at the very mm-hmm. least, so like that's a thing, and Glover. Was it Glover in a in a I don't think movie? so. I don't think so. Like, who the hell was even in the Cotton Club? I guess is sort of what I'm. Um, nobody from this movie. I don't think. Interesting. Have you ever seen the I Cotton Club? So, I never have. I have not. But apparently, this new re-edit that came out is supposed to be great. Yeah. Um. Oh, you know what it was was. Danny Glover's role was originally supposed to be played by Lawrence Fishburne, and Lawrence Fishburne, of course, has been a, in a couple club yeah. movies. He's or in a couple, couple movies. Yeah, Apocalypse Now, Cotton Club. Yes, Apocalypse Now, where he famously lied about his age so that he could be cast. Right. Also, speaking of not Fishburne. lying about their age, but being like younger than their character, uh, Claire Danes was seventeen when this movie filmed. You shut up. 17. That's right. Yeah, because she's 16 three years filming from my so-called Romeo life. plus Juliet. Yes. Yeah. Claire Danes, by the way, this is the sixth Claire Danes film that we have done on this podcast after, um, wait, I had written them down. Um, first one was, well, I guess in chronico- chronological order of like movies, How to Make an American Quilt, to Jillian on her 37th birthday, The Rainmaker, Shop Girl, Family Stone, and Evening. A cool six. Our all-star, our most discussed actor in all of Bringing these Bringing it back to Claire Danes. I made a little quiz, Christopher, oh, for gimme. you. Gimme, gimme, gimme. About the six Claire Danes movies that we have discussed on this podcast. I have a series of questions uh, as to which will be either about one or two of... Like, the answer for all these questions will either be one or two um, 
of the six movies that we have done. Are you prepared to face the gauntlet? I think I, I am at Claire least Dane's emotionally questions. prepared to okay, dive yeah. back into the Claire Danes discussion. All right. So you've got our, you know, it's a it's a set of six movies. So it's essentially a big multiple choice question. Each one of oh, okay. <laughs> uh, which one was directed by a woman? We'll try and go as fast as we can. Which one was directed How by a woman? How to Make an American Quilt. Yes. Which was the only one to open before October? How to Make an American Quilt. Wrong. I think that was um, in October. Uh, one more wrong guess and I'll give it to you. One more wrong guess. Okay. Uh, I know which one. It, uh, it's um, uh, open before October. What's the sixth one? I'm not remembering. It's not The Family Stone. It's not Evening. It's not Shop Girl. It is not um, How to Make an American Quilt. I already guessed. It's not to Jillian. Wait, is it to Jillian? Was that September? Nope. It's Evening. Evening. Evening was June. Oh, duh, 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 duh. Um, which was the only one to debut at the Toronto International Film Festival? Uh, Shop Girl. Yes. Which was the only one with an original screenplay? Not that. Not that. Family Stone. Yes. Which two were nominated for Golden Globes, or at least one Golden Globe? Uh. Not Shop Girl. Um. Not Evening. Family Stone and yes. um, not to Jillian. Uh, How to Make an American Quilt? Nope, The Rainmaker. Rainmaker. Oh yeah, duh, because John Voice nominated. <laughs> Which was so the only one weird. based on a play? To Jillian. Yes. Which one co-stars a Best Actress winner of the 1960s? Uh, Evening. No, How to Make an American Quilt. Duh. Um, Anne Bancroft. Which one stars a Best Actress winner of the 1980s? Um, of the 1980s. Glenn Close. No. <laughs> no. Uh, no. Cruel. Uh, Me. I made my own mistake. Um, a uh, Meryl. So, um, evening. Yes. Which two films also star cast members from Dangerous Liaisons? Uh, Dangerous Liaisons. Glenn Close. Um, it's. Is it evening? Yes. It's Glenn Close is an evening. Yes. And one more. There's another. I said two movies. Who's Indian? Oh, a different movie with someone from Dangerous yes. Liaisons. Correct. Uh, Malkovich. Pfeiffer. Oh, Pfeiffer's into Jillian. Yes. Okay. Which one was I'm a confused. nominee with the Glenn. Costume Designers Guild? Um, Shop Girl? Yes, correct. Which one was nominated for Best Kiss at the MTV Movie Awards? Um, Not to Jillian. Not... Family Stone. God, if it was evening, that'd be hilarious. Um, not the Rainmaker. Oh, it's How to Make an American Quilt for that it is. We kiss discussed in it. the car. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which two were AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards nominees? Family Stone and yes. Evening. Correct. Which two movies co-starred Claire Danes and somebody she was romantically linked to at the time? Um... Evening. Yes. Her it's current Hugh man, Hugh Dancy. Um, is it The Rainmaker? The Rainmaker. She and Matt Damon dated while making The Rainmaker. Shut up. While she was 17? He was, what, like 21 at the time or whatever? I do not care. <laughs> um, which was the only one not to co-star someone who's been nominated for a Best Supporting Actress? Like, um, in their entire career. 
It's got to be Family Stone because Diane Keaton... No, Diane Keaton was nominated for supporting for... No, she wasn't. It's Family Stone. No, because Rachel McAdams is in the Family Stone and she was nominated oh, for that's supporting right. for Spotlight. Um, One more crack at it. up on Diane Keaton. It's not How to Make an American Quilt. It yeah. is... Um, no, How to Make an American Quilt has like all the supporting actress nominees. <laughs> exactly. Tajillion has Michelle Pfeiffer, mm-hmm. who's nominated for Dangerous Liaison. Dangerous uh, Liaison. Shop Girl, because there's no other women exactly right shop girl very good uh you've did a very good job i should mention i sort of breezed by it but the aarp movies for grown-ups award nominee in evening was vanessa redgrave of all people um chasing yeah. that moth baby very good job very good job on that quiz thank you i know my random bullshit about claire danes yeah you I do guess. well done but yes congratulations claire danes you are a queen welcome back We'll find an opportunity to talk to you, talk about you again at yes. some point in the future. Um, let's talk about Matt Damon for a second, though, because the nineteen ninety seven mm-hmm. the nineteen ninety seven of it all is incredibly interesting. As you mentioned, in ninety six he does Courage Under Fire. I think that's where he catches a lot of people's eye. The timing of the Rainmaker and Goodwill Hunting is interesting because he is cast in the Rainmaker first, mm-hmm. and because of that, that helps push Harvey Weinstein to let him star in Goodwill Hunting because they had like gotten the script, but they were haggling. There was a lot of haggling between Harvey Weinstein and Affleck and Damon about who would direct. They sort of fought for Gus Van Sant. Um, ultimately they got it and whether Damon was going to star in it. And I think because Coppola cast Damon and because Coppola is such a like stamp of approval mm-hmm. that pu- helped push Weinstein to have him cast Goodwill Hunting, but then Goodwill Hunting shoots before the Rainmaker shoots for whatever reason, because of the vagaries of scheduling and whatnot. Um, But then the Rainmaker releases like less than a month before Goodwill Hunting. So it's interesting in terms of just like, here comes Matt Damon down the pike, like which one actually made it to market first, but both of them kind of influenced Goodwill Hunting was at TIFF too. So like Goodwill Hunting, let me look that up. Yeah. Look that Um, up. Because then Goodwill Hunting would have premiered and it's like, you would have had that buzz building on top of the rainmaker and there was definitely a lot of buzz there was like not quite jennifer lawrence style because remember when jennifer lawrence was in winter's bone and that played at sundance and Mm -hmm. then people were like she's gonna get an oscar nomination like this is going to happen and it wasn't quite as guaranteed but i think the other part of because even that jennifer lawrence buzz for winter's bone never predicted the hunger games x-men sort of like giant movie starness of her Mm-hmm. But I think the Matt Damon buzz was like, this is the next big young man, leading man, Hollywood. And that's interesting because that was all happening the same year as Leonardo DiCaprio, which is also interesting that Claire Danes in consecutive years co-starred with like the two big young leading men of their era, which is DiCaprio and Damon. And... They, I think forever, at least in my mind, were sort of like inextricably tied to one another, Damon and DiCaprio, and mm-hmm. that their rise sort of happened concurrently or like generally concurrently. Certainly like DiCaprio was known a lot earlier. He had already had the Oscar nomination for Gilbert Grape, but like 97 was the ascendancy year for the both of them. And I, that's why I always think it's interesting that DiCaprio, when he won his Oscar, that Damon was nominated in that category as well because it's just sort of like full circle yeah dicaprio being sort of like famously snubbed for titanic in 97 as 
Damon gets that nomination. Mm-hmm. Damon with the sort of um, Adrian Brody-esque nomination in 97, where it was him against this, like, bulletproof lineup of veterans, where, like, Nicholson wins it for as good as it gets. Duval is nominated for The Apostle. Peter Fonda's nominated for Yuli's Gold. And just and Dustin Hoffman for Wag the Dog, which, like, I've never seen Yuli's Gold, but I've seen the other three. And, like, really, really great performances by these, like, actors who were, you know gold-plated stars from like the 19 even from like the late 60s on right um although i don't think duval really shows up until the 70s whatever anyway um this is a really fascinating best actor lineup. it's a fascinating best actor lineup it's just like it's it's amazing and the fact that like dicaprio is left off i'm trying to think of like what other 97 contenders there would have been in Best Actor. I guess, like, Daniel Day-Lewis and The Boxer, but that was never really going to happen. Um, that had buzz, though, because that was, like, a... It was Christmas a Globe nominee. New Year's uh, release. Yes, it was a Globe nominee. And Day-Lewis like, was obviously only... already an Oscar winner, but he hadn't quite attained that, like, anytime he's in something, he'll get mm-hmm. nominated sense. Like, he was still... He had been in Last of the Mohicans and wasn't nominated for that, and um, this was the year after The Crucible, which was, like, a big... Uh, not like a dent in his armor, but like mm-hmm. it's the one time where you can watch a movie and watch him sort of overdo it and be like, oh, that's the wrong call. <laughs> like, yeah, that's somebody was tweeting about the crucible the other day. Um, I wish I can remember who it was because it was a really interesting conversation. Um, and was just sort of just like asking my expertise for the, the crucible and just like, is it good? And I'm just like, good is an interesting question when you talk yeah. about the crucible where it's just like in many ways, it's bad in many ways. Like there are very good elements. I think Joan Allen was really great and earned her Oscar nomination and whatever. Um, it is pitched to the rafters literally in many <laughs> in certain scenes, right? It, it, it takes itself incredibly seriously, incredibly seriously, which Part Fine. of me feels like it's the crucible. You can't like that's what it's there for. It's there to yeah. be this very sort of like somber allegory about uh, the communist witch hunts, right? But, but this like, version doesn't feel allegorical in any way. It's a very like true. super serious. It's literal... about witchcraft. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Um, but Winona Ryder is. Um, I always sort of compare her role in the crucible with her role in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Speaking of Francis Ford Coppola, mm-hmm. which is. And I think she's, well, no, I don't know which I think she's better in. I think she seems very peculiarly cast in both of them. And I think she compensates for that by going really big. Yeah. And in Dracula, she goes really big in these sort of like sumptuous falling in love slash lust sort yeah, of scenes. Yeah, once she's like kind of under Dracula's spell. Right. The whole like take me away from all of this death, like that scene where it's just so <laughs> overwrought, but like works. <laughs> Whereas in the Crucible, she's just sort of like hollering and screaming and um, wide-eyed, right? Whereas, and I think it's just it's it's bad, but it's also incredibly watchable. And I think mm-hmm. the same about Daniel Day Lewis's performance. Where this, I mean, I was surprised. I watched the trailer for the Crucible, and the the scene where he, you know, his obviously big emotional scene at the very end of the movie, where he goes, "It's my name. It's the only one I have." You know that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and. I was just like, I'm amazed, A, that they put that in the trailer because, like, you're sort of giving away the farm. But also, it's 
it's not good and yet also wildly watchable. And I think yeah. maybe that's the, you know, one of the undersung elements of Daniel Day-Lewis where like even when he's not great, it's, you know, you're going to watch him. Anyway, why did we get on the this subject? <laughs> because of Daniel Day-Lewis. Because the boxer, Here's right. A, yes. Yes. This is the year of the boxer. Maybe he would have been number six. Here's some of the other Globe nominees, both in comedy and drama, that it would uh, they would make sense as nominees. In comedy, they nominated Kevin Klein and Jim Carrey, both great performances. That would have never happened with Oscar. Maybe Kevin Klein, because he's out already an Oscar liar, winner. liar. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then also Samuel L. Jackson for Jackie Brown. Oscar right. famously did not go for Jackie Brown that much, um, even though they should have. Um, the drama nominees were also I Leonardo. love Jackie Brown, and I agree with you that they should have gone for Jackie Brown in a lot more categories than they did. I don't know if Samuel L. Jackson's in my top five of people who should have been nominated for that movie. Uh, that movie could have several acting nominations for me. Even just, like, actors, but just, like, crass people and whatever. But, like, he's never my favorite part of Jackie Brown. I always feel like if there's one that sort of annoyingly Tarantino... Jackie Brown's an interesting Mm -hmm. movie in that it balances Tarantino and Elmore Leonard almost equally, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And I think Samuel L. Jackson, where he's, like, the whole thing where he's just, like, like the, the gun monologue he goes for it was just like if you ever want to kill every motherfucker in the room like that whole kind of thing yeah and i'm just like like get back to pam greer i don't know like i i don't care about his character i as know much that as there is does. some uh degree of different opinions about this performance and i know that supporting actress is stacked this year but i'm almost in hindsight really surprised that nothing happened for bridget fonda in that movie because I think she's incredible. She you definitely like her line. a lot more than I do in that movie. I don't dislike her, but I don't think she does enough to merit that. Mm. I don't know. I think she's really funny. I mean, um, yes. And like pulling off something that could otherwise lack a lot of depth, but a lot of people think that it does lack depth. I don't know. While we're on the Golden Globes in 97, though, let's talk about supporting actor, because John Voight does get a nomination for The Rainmaker. Which was all, I, let me also mention, too, that Jaime yeah, Hansu was nominated in the Globe for Drama, and that's a little surprising. But Amistad generally didn't do as well with Oscar as it was expected to. And, it and, got um, Anthony Hopkins nominated in some craft categories, I believe. And the Oscars end up making it up to Jaime Hansu in getting him two supporting actor nominations that still kind of surprise me that they happened. One, because... Blood Diamond is not good. <laughs> and the other... That nomination isn't surprising, though, for what that role is. I think, I guess, once you're nominating DiCaprio, then yeah, it's not surprising. But it, it surprises me that that movie got nominations at all. Like, it got, okay. got like, Oscar attention at all. And then the In America nomination, which he had been sort of buzzed for that early. Him and Samantha Morton together. Both sort of buzzed early. The buzz had completely, almost entirely gone away, except for screenplay. And then it comes back... With a vengeance, I know you don't love in mm-hmm. America, but I do. I do not love in America. Um, love as that those two two thousand three miniseries. Indeed, that's right. That's where we talked about that. Um, but ninety seven supporting actor Voight gets nominated. I always found that a little interesting because, as I remember it, Devito had a lot of buzz going into the fall. That was one of those where mm-hmm. nineteen ninety seven, the fall of nineteen ninety seven, was very. 
Danny DeVito wearing a fedora kind of a time (laughs) where he's in this movie. He's in L.A. Confidential. I think L.A. Confidential, they tried, I think, to drum up some supporting actor buzz for him, partially because with the exception of, well, Spacey was a former uh, Oscar winner and Mm -hmm. Cromwell was a former nominee, but I still feel like there was an effort to, because DeVito was sort of the voice of that movie, especially in the marketing, the whole Mm -hmm. like down on the QT, hush, hush, that whole kind of thing. Um, And Russell Crowe and Guy Pearce famously were not. Basically unknowns. Right. In America, at least Um, virtuosity, notwithstanding. And today, they would probably be run in supporting, or one of they would. At one least, of them would be chosen. Yeah, one to of run them would be. You would you would run Crow in lead and Pierce in supporting probably because Crow's the because one who of has what the romantic relationship. Are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think I, in I'm pretty sure if I go back and look at my uh, lists that I was keeping even back in 1997. Um, that Crow and Pierce are both on my ballot for lead actor because I think they're both phenomenal in that movie. Yeah. And I probably would have put Spacey on the supporting ballot. But like there was a lot of push, I remember that year, for DeVito to get a nomination for either LA Confidential or The Rainmaker, whether that was him sort of splitting his own vote or whether there just wasn't the support for his character because they were both pretty small characters even in the rainmaker where he's essentially like rudy's right hand man he only Mm -hmm. has maybe a couple scenes where he's prominent and he doesn't have any emotional like he doesn't have a heart to heart with rudy ever you'd almost expect especially with this being based on a novel that you'd get one scene late at night they're working on the case and and deck sort of you know, spills some story about his past or whatever, about, like, why he does this, why he practices law, why he's, you know, so dogged in Mm -hmm. his pursuit of whatever. And you never get that. So you never really get that kind of Oscar-friendly window into his soul kind of a thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of true of every character in this movie. That's why when you look at it, it would make sense with this cast. That's kind of what I was expecting to watch this movie and be like, okay, which of these performances could have been the Oscar nominee because it makes sense, especially because with Grisham movies, the best Oscar success has been in performance nominations. Yes, Um, yeah. But, like, nobody really ever gets that time or that amount of focus. Yeah. Voight gets the Globe nomination. Who's probably, with the exception of John Voight, like, the second most screen time in the entire movie. Yeah. I think Voight's nomination for the Globes comes largely on his reputation he's obviously mm-hmm. a former oscar winner um he had been was he nominated for um runaway train was that uh, the movie let he me, was in? I, I, i'm going to look it up but i would not be surprised if he had one of those type of nominee nominations uh john voight also um in this very year starred in the iconic anaconda <laughs> that was the same year what a year <laughs> What a year for uh, Yes, he is nominated for Runaway Train at the Oscars. Um, 85? And, something like that? And the Globe. He won the Globe for Runaway Train. Um, what year was he that? He has uh, 85. Yeah. He has 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 Golden Globe nominations, including his newcomer nomination, which he also won for. Did he and win for Ray Donovan? at any point uh yes he did wild Wild. 
great. Yeah. Good job, everybody. So he's won, what, three Golden Globes in his Four, career? if you count his newcomer globe. Right. Interesting. So coming home, he wins the Globe and the Oscar. Runaway Train, the Globe. Ray Donovan, obviously, the Globe. Greatest television performance of our time. Um, John Voight should be better in this movie. Like he's, I, I don't think, think he's perfectly he's bad. fine, but like, I think he's it's your in... standard big, big timer lawyer character, right? I don't. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying like he has the plum role that can really like. This movie has a problem with like back to the Aaron Brockovich thing of like inciting our rage against yeah. like this system, and like John Voight is never like I would almost rather him be the full on mustache twirling villain of the movie. Is he essentially the same role that Robert Duvall got a nomination for for a civil action? No, uh, Robert Duvall is a judge in the civil action or a civil action. Is he? Or were he we is, thinking of the I judge? Because I remember his Oscar clip because I haven't seen that movie. Okay, I'm so he's been sure nominated he's twice for playing judges. I guess famously also famously the judge. The judge. Um, a civil action which seems on its face to be that it could be a Grisham <laughs> adaptation, right? Right. Um, anyway, guess who my per- favorite performance in the movie is? I, I think it should be easy for you to guess. Uh, it's probably also mine. Is it Mary Kay Place? It's Mary Kay Place. She's Mary absolutely fantastic in this movie. She's playing pretty significantly older than she is, or at least a woman uh-huh. who life has aged her, you know, probably more rapidly. Right. Right. Than it maybe should have. Her son's in his early twenties, so she is at least in her, let's say, late forties, early fifties. One day, in the late mid eighties, I was in my early late twenties. But like she's, she looks elderly. She presents elderly in this movie. I think it's a good decision. Yeah. This movie's think... over twenty years old, and it's like she's playing her age that she is today. <laughs> yes, essentially. Um. But she's so good at conveying. She's the one who gets across why what Rudy's doing is important. And it's not just, like, if you read the facts of the case, they're obviously, you know, harrowing. This family, this, you know, young man with leukemia didn't get the treatment he needed, deserved. um, And so he ends up dying. And obviously, like, even on paper, that is tragic. But, like, one scene with Mary Kay Place in this movie, like, nails that down, nails it to the wall of what the stakes are for Rudy, for her, for her family, that even, you know, even with when uh, Donnie Ray dies, that, you know, it's so important for them to get justice because they were lied to, because they were cheated, because they mm-hmm. were disregarded and sort of brushed aside. And she's so good in such, not not exactly limited screen time. She has a good amount of screen time, but, mm-hmm. like, she doesn't have very many lines of dialogue. She doesn't have her one big sort of yeah. scene where she talks a lot is when she's on the stand in the courtroom. And even then, it feels like it's pulling teeth to get her to say anything, which is a great character choice. And um, I don't know. I just think she's phenomenal. I think she's so good. No, she's wonderful in this movie. And, like, you're right. Whenever you see her again, she is, she says maybe a line. Um, and while to us she may be famous, like, it really kind of begs that the movie should, instead of having all of these recognizable people, it should be a movie populated with character actors like she is um, to kind of give it a little bit more life. Um, Mary Kay Place and Claire Danes, by the way, co-starred in My So-Called Life. Yes. 
Mary Kay Place played her uh, Claire Danes' mother's best friend. Also, the very first movie I had ever seen Mary Kay Place in was only how many years before this? Hold on, sorry, I'm looking at... Okay, well, five years before this. First thing I had ever seen Mary Kay Place in was a little movie called Captain Wrong, where she played <laughs> the wife of uh, Martin Short. Is Martin Short the straight man yes, in that movie? Yes, it is Martin Short. Yes. Um, with Kurt Russell playing the Tiger King on a boat. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> what a fun movie I remember Captain Ron being. I don't know whether I would find it that way anymore because he's sort Probably of a sneeze. Not. It's, but... it's a little bit like, what about Bob if Bob Wiley was what about Bob a holds boat up? stoner? <laughs> but like... Also a womanizer and also yeah. like gropey and it's, towards like it's the Venn diagram like. of what about Bob and the beach bum? Yes. Yeah. That's a yeah. good Venn diagram. What about Bob holds up like a champ? Like it's still so incredibly Bob funny. Is so good. One of Bill Murray's secretly funniest performances. I know that like Groundhog Not Day even secretly. But, like, it doesn't get remembered the way Groundhog right. Day or Ghostbusters do, right? It's, like... Right. And even and then he, like, makes the late career sort of pivot towards, like, dramedy and whatever. But, like, What About Bob is so great. And also, Richard Dreyfus playing the, like, slowly, like, fraying wire of a, of a respected psychiatrist in that movie is so great. And, uh, like, she's had... Like, his primary character like development is that he just gets progressively annoyed throughout the movie. Yes. He is the person who is just like judgmental and like, just like his journey in that movie is becoming unable to suppress the fact that he is an asshole. Yes. Yes. That it's like his so true funny. his true like rotten nature sort of comes out. There's so <laughs> many fun subplots in that movie. The one where like the old the old neighbors hate him. His old like neighbors in his vacation town or whatever just despise him, and they like cheer on his every misfortune. And they He's of course very controlling befriend Bob. But that movie has one of my favorite tropes, which is the um, sort of irritable, shitty husband has the wife who is, like, pure sunshine and optimism, and her being that... Naturally played by Julie Haggerty. Played perfectly by Julie Haggerty. And every, for his, every bit of niceness that she shows just annoys Richard Dreyfus further, which is just, like, the best. <laughs> Where, like, all it takes to, like, get him from, like, ratchet him from, like, an 8 to a 9 on the scale is just Julie Haggerty being like, we should let Bob come over for dinner. Yeah. Polite resilience pisses yes. him off. Yes, it's so great. God, I want that's another one. I'm putting All that right, on my list. We're going to find too. where we're going to watch what about Bob. Um one Okay, so the nominated Oscar nominated supporting actor performance that the Globes did not go for even though they went for John Voight. Um they did not nominate Robert Forster. They However, didn't. who the Globes also nominated cuz they had six nominees they did. instead of the Oscars is Rupert Everett for my best friend's wedding. I say a little prayer for those Golden Globe voters because they did the right thing. They did year. the right thing. That... They should have nominated Julia Roberts, too, but we will take what we can get here. Oh, no, no wait, they did nominate Julia they Roberts. They did. They nominated both of them, but both of them should have been Oscar nominated, and I will this... hold by that. My best friend's wedding, whatever, I could go on for two hours about my best friend's wedding. Best actress in a comedy or musical this year, Helen Hunt is the winner. She goes on to win the Oscar. 
Joey Lauren Adams for chasing Amy. That is a little wild to me. I support it with a few caveats. Right. Chasing Amy was an important movie for me. Anyway. Sure. Pam Greer for Jackie Brown, Julia Roberts for My Best Friend's Wedding, and Jennifer Lopez for Selena. For Selena, who also... Hell yeah. The the night we've talked i feel like we've definitely talked about 97 oscar nominees Mm -hmm. and it's not a bad group it's helen hunt wins the oscar winslet for titanic which is an iconic performance you can't not nominate it julie christie for afterglow a movie i've never seen helena bonham carter in the wings of the dove who is great in that movie and absolutely deserved it and judy dench and mrs brown which was like the judy dench crossover movie essentially where like all of a sudden judy dench became a known quantity in the United States and obviously wins the Oscar the next year for that Shakespeare performance in love. is like one of her top two best nominations. I would go out there. And, and it's that. so, it's there a was such a it's wave really of um, maybe she should have won a little bit of like a mm-hmm. little bit of that Helen Hunt buyer's remorse, even though I think Helen Hunt is great and as good as it gets, but there was a little bit of that Helen Hunt buyer's remorse that happened. And just like, should we have, we have rewarded the accomplished British stage actress instead and then so I think that was a big part of why she won for such a small performance in Shakespeare in Love. Also the fact that mm-hmm. they loved Shakespeare in Love like crazy. Um, but there's a lot of actress performances. You talk about some years which are tagged as like, oh, it's a weak year for Best Actress or whatever. Like, And that's always, you know, take a, that with a grain of salt because it usually means, you know, in things that Oscar uh, Oscar voters tend to gravitate for and that should be expanded but anyway 97 you could have made an entirely respectable category of women who were not nominated where it's like Pam Mm -hmm. Greer Jodie Foster in Contact Julia Roberts in My Best Friend's Wedding Jennifer Lopez in Selena um I don't know like there's plenty 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 to go around and I don't know yeah it it does feel like it's a justifiable final best actress lineup where it's like you can sure. stand by each of them individually, but the result is kind of stuffy. And I think it also carries over from that win that ha- people have a lot of complicated feelings about because they have complicated feelings about the movie. Absolutely. Okay. So my nominees, and again, this is a list that I maybe haven't touched in quite a while. So like grain of salt, grain of salt. Um, my best actor nominees that year for 97 Russell Crowe in L.A. Confidential, Guy Pearce in L.A. Confidential, Hoffman in Wag the Dog, Nicholson in As Good As It Gets, and Christopher Guest in Waiting for Guffman. Oh, God. Waiting for with, Guffman should have probably, like, two nominations. With, like, Ian Holm sort of, like, two acting lingering on the outside for The Sweet Hereafter, because he's really mm-hmm. good in that. Damon for Goodwill Hunting is just outside of that. Wahlberg for Boogie Nights, who I think is so good. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a great... 97's a great Oscar year. Like, let's just say it. Um, and then actress that year, I had Pam Greer for Jackie Brown, Helena Bonham Carter, Wings of the Dove, Kate Winslet, Titanic, Helen Hunt for As Good As It Gets. Ah, here's the other actress I was thinking of, Parker Posey in The House of Yes. Yeah. Phenomenal. And also Joan that. Allen in The Ice Storm is another one who could have been nominated. So like 97 mm-hmm. Best Actress is freaking great. Absolutely freaking great. Really I should have it. Julia Roberts in My Best Friend's Wedding in there. I guess I'll dump... I would slot Julia Roberts, My Best Friend's Wedding, ahead of almost all of them. But definitely probably bump out Helen Hunt, as good as I think she is and as good as it yeah. gets. But yeah. It's great. And then supporting actor, because we were mentioning that, Burt Reynolds in Boogie Nights, Forster and Jackie Brown, 
Spacey in LA Confidential, uh, Kinnear in As Good As It Gets, and we were just talking about him last week, Jude Law in Gattaca. Yeah. Jude Law in Gattaca would be on my list too. Yeah. I have too many blind spots to probably pull out a justifiable list for my own, especially in lead actor. Ninety seven was the was right around the year that I started making these lists and I went retroactively, I think back through the beginning of the nineties. But like ninety six, ninety seven was when I would buy those Leonard Malton books and literally mm-hmm. go through them and like write down every movie I had seen. Because I Can, had plenty of spare time because I did not have a great social life. I had those books as well. Can we take it back to one of our old staples? Once again, we pulled back Claire Danes that we have discussed all the time. I'm going to bring up something we haven't discussed in a while. The EW Fall Movie Preview. We can. And also, the 97 EW Fall Preview, speaking of, like, my origin story, that's, like, the Rosetta Stone of my Oscar (laughs) nerddom and, like, movie nerddom. Is like, that 1997 EW Fall Preview with Jackie Brown featured on the cover is... I was gonna Seared. ask you what movie was on the was the prime location on the cover. You got it. It's Jackie Brown. It's Jackie Brown. That was Clearly like that shot issue. at the same time that they did the promo art for the poster because they just like shuffle the group around. Yes. Bridget Fonda gets the center spot. Don't know why. It's what got... it's Fonda, Greer, Forster, uh, De Niro, and and Jackson. All five of them. No, not Forster. Sub in Michael Keaton, who I always forget right. is in that movie because. He's just the last thing you talk about when you talk about Jackie Brown. Plus, I always, for whatever reason, I more associate him with Out of Sight in the uh, in the Elmore Leonard cinematic canon. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. So there's. I'm gonna challenge you then, since you right ahead got that uh, cover. It's still a great cover. This would still sell magazines if that was the cover. However, you have to guess the four, there's only four on the 97 one, floating heads above. I will let you get the movie or the performer. The person? Yes. All right, 1997. The big question is, because they had featured Titanic on an earlier movie preview because it had been pushed back. Yeah, it was supposed to be a summer movie. I'm still going to guess that Titanic is on there. No. No. I'm going to give you a big hint if you get one more wrong answer. Okay. However, can we just, like, I want to throw this question out there since you brought it up. If Titanic had been a summer movie, would it have been as big? I'm going to say no. I would say no also because I think you don't get as much of the repeat viewing because you get Mm -hmm. more competition. I think the fact that Titanic was able to keep chugging along during january and february and like rack up those giant numbers i don't think you get that in summer when your competition i'm trying to think what would it like the lost titanic World. had competition it opened against tomorrow never dies and barely beat it out for the top spot but it's that longevity it's the mm-hmm. fact that and it then over the going. christmas and new year's holiday it kept building its business and then it like became this staple of people <coughs> going back and going back and going back Again, with less competition. Right. And I don't think that happens in summer. And I also don't think a movie like that does as well in the summer, even with James Cameron. Anyway, the four... So there's four of them. Again, yes, there's four. I'll give you a small hint first. No, it's not LA Confidential. Motherfucker! Here's your big hint. (laughs) 
three of these movies are movies we have yet to mention in all of these movies we've talked about in 97. Wow. Actually, we haven't mentioned... I'll, I'll just let you have this one. We haven't mentioned the fourth one, but we've done an episode on it. We've done an episode on it. So it was a expectation, but no go. Ugh. Okay, so, and we haven't mentioned... I'm pretty I'm sure trying this to is like, the last time we did 97. I'm too. literally mentally flipping through all of these. Um, all right. Remember, we're talking about the cover of a magazine. Yes, but I'm like mentally flipping through the inner pages because I remember the like the ones that were sort of featured. Because at the beginning of mm-hmm. each month, there's just like the featured one and then the other ones. I'd be willing um, to bet that this was featured heavily. One we've done on the podcast. Seven years in Tibet. Seven years in Tibet. It is Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt with his Nazi hair. highlights. Yeah. yeah. All so right. you got three other movies that we haven't mentioned on this episode. One of them, I would say, could potentially... I would want to look into this. It could potentially be an episode. But the other two, not a chance, even though it would be really fun to talk about them. Interesting. Okay. Um, so we've talked about... As good as it gets, Goodwill Hunting. Um, I mentioned Boogie Nights. Um, we have mentioned one of these performers, but not the movie. Interesting. Amistad. No. Okay. We talked about this performer in relation to other movies that did not happen in 1997. In relation to other movies that did not get Oscar? In 1997? Did. No, didn't. We're not. The movies we talked about for this performer <laughs> are not 1997 movies. I see. Um, well, that's interesting. I will say right. you have two women left and one man. Two women, one man. See, it's funny. I remember the lead image on that cover so well, and I can't place it. Give me a second, though. The woman we talked about, it is. it looks like it's just a glamour shot photo of her. I'll say it. Yeah, the performer that we talked about this episode for not 97 movies is a woman, and it doesn't look like a still from the movie. It just looks like a glamour shot. Whatever. Oh, that's interesting. Um... The other two are definitely from the movie. Give me so you said a man a man and two women? Uh-huh. Alright. Major movie stars? Uh the man the man and the woman that we talked about, I would say the man definitely yes. The woman is probably definitive actress not star to bring up that game. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The other woman I would definitely say, like, uh, the movie star limited to the reason that she's on this cover. Okay, both of the women are in franchises. They're on this cover for franchises. 1997 franchises. So, they wouldn't be talking about, like, the Star Wars re-releases, would they? No. No. Um, 1997 franchises. You mentioned 
Bond, but they wouldn't Not do... the Bond franchise. Yeah, not like Michelle Yeoh for Tomorrow Never Dies. That's... The actress we're talking about, this franchise entry, we don't really talk about it anymore. It was a huge disappointment at the time. And she would have been second billed for her first appearance in this franchise and last. Comedy franchise? Action no. franchise? Horror sci-fi. Horror sci-fi. Uh, Alien Resurrection. Alien Resurrection. It is Winona, Winona Ryder. Ryder. Wild. The other actress um, that is on here, again, she's here for a franchise. Right. She has also been on a previous one that she stumped you on an EW fall movie preview. Oh, boy. Cameron Diaz? No. This would have been a Christmas release. Nev Campbell Scream 2. Nev Campbell Scream 2 with her iconic Scream 2 bob and leather jacket. Yep, yep, yep. And then so One Man. One Man, definitely a movie star. This would have been at the beginning of trying to make him a movie star and an Oscar thing. But like, I think at this point he had already had a Sexiest Man Alive. I would completely believe it. McConaughey? No. No. Um, a man who is breaking out of TV into movies. In 97, <laughs> David Caruso. Um, He'd been around a long time, so you can't really say that this is his first movie. And not... I think this is before the time that, like, there was a hot minute where maybe his career might have been killed headlining movies because he was in such a notorious bomb oh um his co-star who was also named above the title is a very oscary actress before her oscar run <laughs> very oscary actress before her this oscar is like run. an Julianne action Moore? thriller no not julianne moore Action thriller from 97. About, I believe, terrorism and bombs. Oh, oh, is this, um, oh, it's the, it's the DreamWorks movie. It's the first big DreamWorks movie. It's Clooney. It's Kidman. It's called the something. It's not like we're the talking about the Rainmaker. Right. This is the and again, it's not the Widowmaker. It's the What are you doing if you are dispelling terrorism and bombs? You are making <laughs> the peacemaker. <laughs> the peacemaker. Congratulations. Well done. Wow, that is a movie that both exists and doesn't exist because it has such a specific place in history being mm-hmm. the the first big DreamWorks movie, and obviously it's Clooney and Kidman. But, like, I've seen that movie, and I remember nothing about it. Yeah, I think same. What tells me so that it's that Clooney. did have it's some, like... Picture. Yeah, it's Clooney in the picture. Um, it tells me it did have a little bit of Oscar buzz attached to it. If yes. Otherwise, on that cover, the only real Oscar buzzy things are Jackie Brown and Seven Years in Tibet. Yes. Because Fall Movie Preview, as we famously discussed, is very much like an Oscar bellwether. Yeah, I normally think of the EW Fall Preview as very much an Oscar bellwether, so that's why it's so interesting that they they did, you know, diverted from that. Yeah. Insane. 
What more can we Fun say game. on the Rainmaker? I mean, we talked about Coppola. Well, can we talk about so like this is the last Coppola movie that most Before people he falls have ever off seen. The face of the creative earth. Right. He doesn't direct another feature film for ten years. That movie is called Youth Without Youth. Again, nobody has seen it. Uh, starring... Oscar Buzz. Did it get like a score nomination or a cinematography nomination? It did not. It got a um, Independent Spirit Award nomination for cinematography. Mm-hmm. And then is that a that... Warner Independent? Sony Pictures Classics. Ah, Sony Classics. Which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Totally. I remember there being, like, slight Oscar buzz. Because, again, first Coppola movie in 10 years. I remember there being slight Oscar buzz for, like, Bruno Ganz in that movie. Where, like, mm-hmm. he, he's never really crossed over into um, American awardsy stuff. Which is too bad. Star of uh, Wings of Desire, among other things. So then Coppola makes a movie called Tetro. With that is the uh, movie that introduces... Not introduces, because nobody saw it. Um starred a very young alden ehrenreich which again yes. reasons to see this movie alden ehrenreich reasons Come back to, to avoid us, this alden movie ehrenreich. yeah reasons to avoid this movie vincent gallo um it is yeah not a movie i have seen nor have i seen twixt which is the movie he made after that which i always thought those movies were kind of a tandem deal because they happened only a couple years between each other, but like mm-hmm. as far as I know, none one doesn't have anything to do with the other. Twixt uh, stars Val Kilmer and Al Fanning. Vampire Elf- movie. Oh, fun! When it comes to unheralded vampire movies by people who were nominated for Oscars in the early '90s, I prefer Neil Jordan's Byzantium. But oh, have you ever seen I, that? I have not. Okay, but I trust your endorsement with this type of movie. Byzantium is the movie that sold me on Gemma Arterton as an actress. I think she's fantastic. But the woman who plays her younger sister, they're both vampires, uh, sister vampires, Gemma Arterton and Saoirse Ronan. And uh, it's great. Sam Riley is in that movie playing Gemma Arterton's sort of intended. And then my favorite and not yours, Caleb Landry-Jones, plays <sighs> the, if you can imagine, twitchy, anemic boy... <laughs> Sersha Ronan's character is sort of sweet on. It's... Probably with a southern dialect, too, right? Like twitchy southern. Oh, yes, because they're in England, so absolutely. Because he's Caleb Blanchard Jones. Yes, exactly. Um, no, they're in this, like, English coastal town, and it is so stylish and well done. And I remember I saw it at the Tribeca Film Festival the one year that I worked for Tribeca and saw everything. Mm-hmm. And it's so good. I really, really liked it. Highest oh, no. recommendation, Byzantium. Not Twixt, which is a movie I have not seen. And then a couple years ago, he makes a movie called... Wait, I can't remember what it was called. Give me one second. Distant Vision. 2016's sure. Distant Vision, starring nobody you've heard of. Uh, I believe it was... I don't know. I don't know what to believe about it. It was. It is a movie that... Does not exist. The only other movie on his filmography uh, in the future is something called Megalopolis that he has written and 
is looking to direct with Jude Law, an architect, mm-hmm. wants to rebuild New York City as a utopia following a devastating disaster. Too we soon, don't w- Francis nope, Ford Coppola. Nope, we don't want to talk about it. Too soon. But, like, I love the idea of a Francis Ford Coppola movie starring Jude Law. And, like, yeah. Francis Ford Coppola, when we talk about directors who get the benefit of the doubt because of who they are, mm-hmm. and, like, Francis Ford Coppola, obviously, the godfather, is obviously like a titan in the realm of both american cinema and also oscar cinema like the oscars gave it gave him best picture twice for godfather and godfather part two the only time it's ever happened they mm-hmm. nominated him for godfather part three even though at the time everybody kind of hated that hated movie. it because it was probably a resigned thing that that was going to happen for godfather three exactly. i think what's interesting about coppola even if i i don't have much interest in seeing his like modern era movies is Mm. that they all come with a certain level of experimentation that like yes of his caliber like it doesn't seem like we have many correlatives of um like who we would consider his peers doing that to the extent where they're like they kind of don't care if you see the movie or not. Yeah. Or at least that's the impression that some of these well, movies and have. he's certainly earned that. Like, it was what what else is Francis Ford Coppola going to do in the 2000s? Like, you know. Sure. I guess you, you've got, you know, Scorsese, who is still now as prominent as he's ever been. What's that? Still kicking ass, right? Yeah, like... yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, and, I, and I guess Coppola is the other side of that coin. But you're right in that, like, he does seem to be working on whatever little you know passion projects that he's Mm -hmm. into god talk about a blank check director i mean kind of even his 90s period feels like a little bit like he's trying to chase a certain type of aesthetic or filmmaking like this one we said feels very like he's making a capra movie that you have the bernstein score godfather is like going back to the roots of the corleone family bram stoker's dracula is just basically like it's perfect gay fritz lang or something it's like it's like horny silent cinema Uh Uh um in the modern era Uh, right fuck i love that movie um right uh i'm (laughs) It's so good. The fuck room um, of Dr. Caligari, essentially. Exactly. Yes. That is what Bram Stoker's Dracula is. Yeah. Um, and then you have Jack. The most inexplicable movie on his filmography, even considering the, F, the you know, 2000s era movies. I still I... struggle to imagine why he made Jack. And I guess it's sort of a callback to, like, the Peggy Sue Got Married style mm-hmm. of Coppola movies. But, like... I mean, that's, you You can't compare the two. And I guess, like, you know, when you talk about end results, like, it's it's more difficult to talk about that than, like, well, going into it, maybe he had higher hopes. But, like, that's the one where, um, is it, it's not supernatural. It's not like he jumps into the body. He's Robin aging Williams. rapidly. So he's, so he's a 50-year-old man when he's 12 years old. Okay basically or if so that's it's, his physical appearance it's um, it's and it's, it's straight it's a gross reduction of what an actual this actual disease <coughs> is um and it's an incredibly sentimental movie you know who's good in this movie jennifer Who? lopez <laughs> wait jennifer lopez is in jack she plays his teacher and he has a crush on her oh my god um they both love the red wow. gummy bears. Check out this cast list. I'm just going to read it from top to bottom as IMDb uh, depicts it. Robin Williams, Diane Lane, Brian Kerwin, really Jennifer Lopez, 
Bill Cosby, Fran Drescher. God, I forgot Cosby's in that movie. Fran Drescher. Like, that's your top six. Yeah, Jack is nuts. Um, Wow. Insane. Crazy. Um, I think Fran Drescher plays a mom that, like, comes on to him, if I'm not crazy. Oh, that fits the, the, yeah, that fits whatever the mold. And yeah. so Diane Lane plays his mom. Yeah, and she's good in the movie too. When is Diane and Lane bad? Diane. Um, Serenity? Question mark. No, I would say <laughs> Serenity. Diane Lane in Serenity as the person who shows up to the video game just to fuck prostitutes. That is who she is playing. <laughs> she stares out her window. I was going to say the biggest called in favor I had ever seen in a movie. Diane Lane playing Ava Gardner in Night of the Iguana, essentially. And (laughs) she just doesn't own any shirts that, like, come up to her shoulders at all. Like, she's always wearing those, like, shoulder-bearing island looks. It's Yeah, Yeah. caftans when she's actually wearing clothes. Okay, spoiler alert for any of you who have not seen Serenity. It's a video game. It's a video game where, like basically a boy creates this mystical land to like get in touch with his father but it also has like teenage boy elements where it's like there's people who show up in the video game purely just to have sex and that is what her including character does. both of this kid's parents yeah he makes a video game to watch his parents have sex and not just um, like discreet mom and dad sex it's like yeah, like fucking call me daddy sex yes um, um wild but yeah doesn't diane lane pay matthew mcconaughey to have sex with her why am i remembering maybe it that, way? that movie is wild. there is some sort of like yeah some sort of sorted like one is doing it doesn't he he's like whatever a fisher boat captain and also a private eye or something like that i don't know sure. like it's this kid really didn't delineate his characters super well um it's one of those movies where you will have people calling it secret masterpiece like showgirls except everything about this movie is so earnest and like thinks that it's being very wise when it's actually very cringy and stupid i think it i think the thing with serenity is i think it knows it's a bad movie but in a different way than it like is also a bad movie. It's just this weird, like, levels upon levels thing, which is why I find it fascinating. Like, but not clearly... in the, like, Showgirls way, where show- Showgirls is the thing that it is trying to satirize. Sure, yeah. Yes, sort of. I don't think Showgirls is ever sexy. And I think no. Showgirls is trying to satirize sort of sex thrillers in a way. So, like... In that and, like, respect. sexual entertainment, like, uh, the whole Vegas showgirls phenomenon, where it's just, like... Yes. Yeah. Such antiseptic sex that's so in your face that it is not sexy. Whereas Serenity is, like... It feels like it's never quite aware of the sexual psychology I think that's right. Playing with. I think it's aware of a lot of things. I think it's aware of the sort of like archetype that McConaughey is playing and the whole like obsessed with finding this like white whale of a tuna, like all of this stuff. But I don't think it quite appreciates just how fucked up on a like human sexuality level <laughs> that movie is, is what I will say. 
No idea how we got into Serenity. No. This episode, but all I'm right. Glad let me go through my my notes and get to all the stuff I didn't mention. I think we got to most of it. Mary Kay Place is amazing. Um, Grisham is obsessed with this idea that most people hate lawyers. This sort of like this is a big right. part of the early narration where Matt Damon's just like, I heard him. I heard all the lawyer jokes. You probably have too. Like this kind of thing. It's a thing. In Here's the cli- another one. It's a thing in the client where like Brad Renfro doesn't know anything, but he knows he hates lawyers. <laughs> like, and so I think there's a lot of Grisham of just sort of like setting out at the outset that everybody hates lawyers. And then he's going to make the case for you why lawyers are good and important. And it's just like, I suppose good for you. Um, we didn't talk about the alcoholic dad, the sort of like semi catatonic, um, yeah. husband of Mary Kay place who just sort of like shuffles around and doesn't say much and goes and hangs out in a car in the yard with like feral cats all around it and whatever. Um, but then has that one sort of like very nice and quiet scene after Donnie Ray has died where he sort of like, you know, shakes Rudy's hand or whatever and, and hands him a framed photo, I think maybe something, something of Donnie Ray's. <laughs> also Donnie Ray played by Johnny Whitworth, who the only other thing I've ever seen him in is the iconic empire records. As, yeah. Um, AJ who's in love with Liv Tyler and glues quarters to the floor. And one of my weird, my favorite, that movie is full of weirdo quirks that like don't really add up to anything. But the fact that Johnny Whitworth's character in Empire Records is just constantly gluing quarters to the floor and every once in a while, another character will comment on it is great. Um, oh, <laughs> I just wrote, oh no, Claire Danes is working behind a counter again. <laughs> Which like future callback to uh Buttersfield. To, to yes, to Miss Buttersfield. Whatever her Shopgirl. first name is, Mirabelle. Maybelline probably. Maybelline. Maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's Mirabelle, maybe it's Maybelline. Um also Virginia Madsen we haven't been discussed. Fantastic in just two scenes. Mm-hmm. Um playing a character named Jackie Lamanchik, which is like my favorite just like <laughs> thing to exclaim if I like stub a toe or whatever. And it's just like Jackie Lamanchik. It's a one of the, it's easily one of the great. Uh, we the Lamanchik about... is to let you know that she's a recovering alcoholic as the twist <laughs> yes. is for her second scene. <clears throat> yes, exactly. Give her that nice uh, Eastern European ethnic name. Uh, she does a great job. She has the, she has, I do, I know a lot of people dump on um, ex, exposition scenes as being mm-hmm. sort of like overly telling and not showing. I love a good exposition dump in a movie and she delivers one of the better ones in this where she just like explains great benefits, whole deal and what their MO is. And um, I think if you get a compelling actor who like can nail a monologue, which after Sideways, we know for sure, um, sideways in Dune. What is when? When does Virginia Manson not nail a monologue? Like, come on. Let's not forget Pinot Noir is a desert planet, <laughs> and the spice tastes so fucking good. <laughs> um, <laughs> anything else before we want to move into the IMDb game, Christopher? I mean, we can talk a little bit why this one didn't, because I don't know how much we really talked about. Oh yeah, why it this got very didn't good really reviews. land. I mean, I think a lot of it is. 
Matt Damon being so overshadowed with Goodwill Hunting went I to think the point that's that it. we knew it was coming at the time that the Rainmaker came out, and it's like, well, wait, here's this. You're more excited for this other thing, but we have an appetizer. Goodwill and... Hunting had the better story by far, by yeah. far. The personal story, think... the him and Affleck story. It's such a better story than in the fifth John Grisham film in six a years chunk or of whatever, years. four, yeah. five years. Well, it, like we talked a little bit about how this feels like a downshift and that definitely showed in the box office too because the firm came first 150 million dollars right. pelican brief 100 million dollars the client almost makes 100 million dollars time to kill makes 100 million dollars the chamber is a bomb it makes 15 million but like my memory was like that was even at the time like c tier john grisham book the chamber so yeah. like nobody was excited for that one anyway that's and then this that's one, the easy outlier is, yeah uh, exactly yeah this one comes along and only makes 40 million dollars so it's like it is seen as a disappointment at the time even with good reviews yes i so think it's that's like, right it makes sense that like i'm still surprised that the Grisham's before this one didn't really get more respect but I think it's also that like airport novel disposability thing that it's like it's good that they it's lucky that they got the acting nominations that they did yeah um but like this maybe this one would have been responded to more if this had been early and not towards the end when people start to experience like fatigue mm-hmm. <laughs> with too much of one thing the chamber I like literally the one thing I remember about the chamber is that Bo Jackson played a, I want to say prison guard in that movie. And it's the one movie where they like tried to make Bo Jackson a thing in, uh, in films. And it didn't, didn't take with like through no fault of his own. It also co-starred, um, Leela Roshan, which was the year after waiting to exhale. And that's like, the one other movie I remember her being in after Waiting to Exhale was this. I just rewatched Waiting to Exhale. We should talk about that movie. That has a really that would be a fun movie to talk about. That movie is Spike homophobic, Lee started a and boycott I do not care <laughs> of the Oscars over that movie. Oh well, yeah, we've met. We talked about this a little bit offline. That like Terry McMillan's attitudes towards gay men are not great and rooted in her own experience and And yet i don't care i love that movie (laughs) i love parts of that movie yeah i love parts of it it doesn't always work but we can maybe do an episode on it eventually we should it's Um, a really interesting story rainmaker another awards body we haven't talked about in a long time triple nominee at the blockbuster entertainment awards yes the drama categories actor for damon supporting actor for devito and supporting actress for Claire Danes. One thing we didn't mention about Danny DeVito, because he had a big 97, the other part of his 97 uh, was Hercules, which didn't get the massive response that Robin Williams got for the genie, but it was kind of like the Hercules I famously haven't seen because I'm not that young. Oh, God, what's the character name? He is his um, basically coach... um, (laughs) Sure. It's he's His really he does a wonderful job in the movie. Um, All right, I'm telling you, you would like Hercules, man. It's been over. It's been too hyped. I can't possibly. I can't possibly like it as much as that whole generation of young gays like it. I don't know. Oh, I think you would like it. It's very sweet, and it's an hour and fifteen minutes long. 
Is that uh, all? Rainmaker also was in the top 10 of the National Board of Review. It uh, They chose uh, yeah. the only LA Confidential as their best film. That, that got no Oscar nominations, right? Exactly. It's as good as it gets. Boogie Nights, Good Will Hunting, Jackie Brown, LA Confidential, Full Monty, Rainmaker, The Sweet Hereafter, Wings of the Dove, and Titanic. It's a good year. 97 is a really good year, you guys. Like, Yeah. Even if you, like look outside of those of the big four oscar movies being titanic la confidential as good as it gets and goodwill hunting right it's an it's still an incredible year boogie nights rules the sweet hereafter rules full monty is great jackie brown is great yeah wag the dog which is not uh on this list but probably could have been um fantastic movie yeah do we want to get into the imdb game let's all right, explain the IMDb game to listeners new and old. Oh, why not? Okay, uh, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess which top four titles the IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mention that up front. It's only fair. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles years as uh, as clues. Release years. You know, the year they Fantastic. came Fantastic into theaters remember theaters gosh i do if that's not enough it just becomes a free-for-all of hints you love that imdb and game right there imdb game yeah let's do it all right do you want to let's give her guess it. first um i will let me guess first why not all right i've been very mean to you lately so i'm gonna go easy Uh-oh. and talk about a performer that we talked about in this episode um okay previously nominated for another John Grisham movie. We're talking about Miss Holly Hunter. Have we not done Holly Hunter? That's amazing. I don't know if we have. It's possible that we have, but I don't think so. Let me do a quick control F. We have not. Wild. Okay. We're at the point where it's like impossible not to repeat people over nearly a hundred episodes. This one is not the most intuitive, but I'm going to get it off of my chest first. Home for the Holidays. No. Wow. Okay. Um, Gotta go the piano. The piano. All right. Broadcast News. Broadcast News. Yes. Okay. I've given her the Oscar for that. Um, I almost want to say copycat, but I'm going to hold that in my back pocket for now. And no television. No television. No voiceover. No voiceover. So no Incredibles. God. Yeah. I was going to say, Holly Hunter should be asked to do voiceover on so many more things. She's got such a great distinctive voice. Whoever's idea it was at Pixar, <clears throat> unless it was John Lasseter, because he can <laughs> fuck off, yeah. um, to have Holly Hunter do voiceover work, a great idea. fully Fantastic. needs the credit for that. Yep. Um, all right. Holly, Holly, Holly. Um, I'm trying to think of like what her, like, oh, Raising Arizona? No, okay, so you have two wrong guesses, so you're getting the years now. The years are 2003 and 2017. 2003's got to be 13. It is 13, another Oscar nomination for her. 2017. I I have to go back to our 03 miniseries to be sure. 2017. Okay, very recent. Probably not a lead. Would have guessed that you would have had this. Huh. Okay. Just based off of the year. Maybe you forget this performance. I might. 
definitely had Oscar buzz. Oh, of course. Um, uh, the Big Sick. The Big Sick. I do forget that that had Oscar buzz, which is too bad because like it would have been a really good nomination. She really and Ray Romano would have been great nominations. Romano, in my opinion. Romano. I've I w- have not always been a Ray Romano guy. Me Romano either. in The Big Sick, when he flips out at. Uh, the comedy club, which is a great Oscar clip scene, mm-hmm. which would have been a fantastic Oscar clip scene. When he says the line, "This elevator goes all the way down." <laughs> yeah, this elevator goes all the fuck down. It's so good. I interviewed um, uh, Kumail Nanjiani and Emily Gordon for that movie that year, and had a wonderful conversation with them. They're like the nicest people I've ever talked to in person. Mm-hmm. They're really great. Um, but we talked about that scene, and Emily. Um, talked about coming up with that line and like really making Kumail sort of like laugh with that line about and but she's just like Romano delivered it so perfectly and was so like they loved him in that scene which obviously how do you not I'll be always so happy that they got that screenplay nomination yes because it was I know. so I was close so, to a best I, picture nomination and but also it was close to best picture nomination but also it could have gotten nothing very easily that year mm-hmm. very easily could have been left off of the screenplay list as really well. tricky year so i was very happy that they got that um yeah good choice wow i can't believe we hadn't done holly hunter yet before but yeah okay hooray all right who do you, you have for me Oops. i'm not i'm not being mean to you but i am delving okay. into the late coppola filmography <laughs> And choosing fuck? if you give me Vincent Gallo, I get to say no. I'm if not, you say no to Bo Derek, I I'm can say not no giving to you Vincent Gallo. I would okay. not acknowledge Vincent Gallo enough to give him to you include him in this guess game. Vincent Gallo. Um, no, I'm giving you the star of Youth Without Youth. I'm giving you Tim Roth. Tim Roth. All right. Um, question is, do I think that the Burton Planet of the Apes is on there? You know he turned down playing Professor Snape and Harry Potter to be in the Tim Burton. Planet I didn't of know Apes. that. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's uh, an odd one to think of now. I'm just gonna say that's there. The Planet of the, so Apes? Planet of the Apes. Yes. Correct. Okay. Cool. Uh, Rob Roy. Oscar nominated. Oscar nominated for Rob Roy. Yes. I mean, Youth Without Youth is for sure not on there. Tim, what the hell is Tim Roth in? Who directed Rob Roy? Uh, Michael Caton. I know this question. It's not the guy that did Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, but did a movie like that of that era, if I remember correctly. Um, I'm trying to think of what the Robin Hood Prince Rob of Thieves. My mom is super into Rob Roy. Rob Roy might have been the Ro- the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves esque <laughs> movie you're thinking of. <laughs> he directed The Jackal, and Doc Hollywood, and Memphis Belle. Sure. <laughs> and a movie called City by the Sea with Robert De Niro and. Uh, oh yeah, Franny. Ed Francis McDormand. Yeah. Michael Caton Jones. Okay. What's his most recent movie? Uh, wait a minute. I, I, I just have to say this yes, one for sorry. Tim Roth. Yes. Pulp Fiction. Yes, Pulp Fiction. Okay. Fantastic. Do I have any wrong brief yet? performance. Um, I don't think you do have any wrong guesses yet. You okay. are annoyingly accurate. As is your custom. I'm just trying to remember other Tim Roths. This is impossible. Um, wait, no, no, it's got to be this. He's in the MCU. He's the villain in The Incredible Hulk, The Incredible Hulk. Wrong. Mm. 
cave. Uh, never mind. <laughs> See, we used to have the MCU Harry Potter rule, and I don't think it applies anymore. It's definitely the hold over those movies is definitely weakening. I'm going to be willing to say that that is our influence. <laughs> yes, we did that. Okay. <laughs> go, go, go us. One more. Is he in, Re- more he's in Reservoir Dogs? I'm just going to say Reservoir Dogs. He's fantastic in Reservoir Dogs. He probably should have gotten an Oscar nomination for that. That is not one of his known for. So you now get the year of Great. your one remaining film, and it is 2015. Okay, so it's recent. Yes. 2015, what is he in that I remember? It's got to be like a crime film that I probably didn't see. He plays like the second villain in it. Twenty fifteen. This is mm. I will point I out don't... that his twenty fourteen is fucking wild and that he's in Grace of Monaco as Prince Rainier and <laughs> Selma as George Wallace. That doesn't count as his twenty fourteen. They shot that movie in like two thousand three. <laughs> Grace of Monaco? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Selma. I should have guessed Selma, or I guess not, because it's not the right answer. It's not the right answer. It is like a crime movie, right? Like, he's go- he's a villain. He's got to be. He's a villain. I don't know if I would genre this movie as a crime movie, but there are is crimes a, that Is it a comedy? Like, he's an ironic villain in a comedy? Uh, I bet you there's there's comedic elements to this movie, but it is not a comedy. Is it a horror movie? No. What genre is this? What genre is this is a thing that is typically applied to this director's movies. Oh my god. Of course I don't remember. He's in, It's got to be the other Tarantino of 2015. It is The Hateful Eight. Of course I don't remember he's in that movie, Eight. right? It's This is it, right? He's on the... Yes, it's the Hateful Eight. He's on the poster Ugh. for it. He is one of the titular Hateful Eight. Blocked everything of that movie out of I was going to say, I was trying to think of like whether I could come up with all eight of the Hateful Eight at this point. Look up the poster and see if I, because I only <laughs> saw Roth on the poster. Um, right, obviously, on, Jennifer Jason Leigh is one of them. That's two. Samuel L. Jackson is three. Um, is Channing Tatum even four? I don't think so, right? Mm, I don't think so. Walton Goggins? Is he one of the eight? Uh, He's got to be because I thought he was good in that movie. That I hate. Is Bruce Dern one of the hateful eight? How many do I have now? We have Tim Roth, Jennifer Jason Lee, Bruce Dern, Samuel L. Jackson, Walton Goggins. So you're missing three. Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Obvious. Um, Michael Madsen? Yes. I'm missing one. Oscar nominee. Ooh, okay. Um. Surprise Oscar nominee, I should say. Surprise Oscar nominee. Surprise, if you were paying attention, it wasn't a surprise. Tiny movie. Huh. Or a movie that didn't get a big release at all. Hateful Eight. I think he dies first. 
Hmm. And that's probably why you don't remember he's in the movie. Oh, is uh, is it Damien Bashir? It is Damien Bashir. Okay. Wow, Hateful Eight. Yeah, don't like that movie. Hate that movie. Yeah, not good. All right. I that think that's fun. our episode. I think that is. Rainmaker, I liked it. I had Me fun. Too. Yeah. It was an enjoyable watch. Good, reliable Three. movies. Yeah. But that's our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, my friend, where can our listeners find more of you? Twitter, at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. Letterboxd, which I haven't been, uh, I've fallen back on bad habits and haven't been updating, but I will try to. Um, Not being able to watch movies in theaters has put a dent in my Letterboxd. Don't worry, I'll fix it. Um, That is also Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I'm Chris File. You can find me on the Twitter at Chris V File. That's F-E-I-L. Letterboxd under the same name. I, too, have not been logging that much because it's oddly difficult to watch things right now. But um, we next week, we, as you know, if you follow us on Twitter, we'll be doing Magic Mike. We are trying to do movies that are readily available on streaming platforms for you guys because we know you're cooped yeah. up at home. Once again, thank you for all of the kind words. Magic Mike, by the way, a film about a claw-like hand that uh, has some <laughs> handsome men scattered about. Yes. Um, but we would also like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five star and review really um, helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So please wake up and help us with our yard work, you shirtless law school twinks. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's all for this week, and we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. Ray.